0: Um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com courses. Thanks for the support.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Ian Bentley, the co-founder and CEO of Parker Clay. Parker Clay is a luxury leather goods company that sources and makes everything in Ethiopia. But they're really so much more than that. Ian describes his journey from rising up in the real estate world here in the US and then dropping everything to move to Ethiopia on a mission to give back and help women there. This is where he and his wife saw the opportunity to start to put the pieces together to build a business that builds a remarkable product, does good for the world, and drives Ian to work tirelessly to bring his business into the world. Really, just sit back and enjoy Ian's story here because he is a special person, and
0: you're going to enjoy this one.
1: All right, Ian Bentley, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. Excited to be on.
1: Yeah, thanks for hopping on. You're a little bit north of me, up in up in Santa Barbara, and you've built truly a very incredible, interesting company that's got a fantastic story so i'm just i have been really looking forward to this uh, ever since we scheduled it talking to you
0: yeah excited it's been uh it's certainly been a journey no question uh, very personal journey but really really fun uh, as well from just you know building a business and uh, doing it internationally as well so it's been kind of crazy but very fun
1: i'm I'm sure lots of Lots of uh, zigs and zags as starting businesses go and then adding complexities of being international and, uh, and everything else that, that comes along with it. So did you, growing up, Ian, were you an entrepreneurial kid or where did this, where did this come from?
0: Yeah, good question. I, I do think it's in my blood. Um, I remember growing up, my dad uh, had a, of all things, tropical fish pond store. Um, So he would sell fish and it was called Bentleys Botanical Gardens. Um, And uh, I wouldn't say it was the most successful venture, Um, but it, you know, definitely was something growing up, watching my parents in the shop and figuring out how to run a business. And that led me to, you know, pursuing business um, over the kind of years of my early employment. And in college, I actually started an auto detailing business. Um, and I did it because I couldn't find, you know, any other decent work that was paying, you know, any significant amount. And so I figured out how to detail cars, started with a bunch of, you know, minivan, soccer mom cars and built my way up to a lot of car collectors. This was down in San Diego, California. And um, while I was going to school, you know, I was building this, I literally started for like 500 bucks, put a bunch of stuff on the back of my truck and I built it to where I was detailing cars for collectors and, you know, CEOs and business leaders. And it it was a really fun uh, entrepreneurial journey. I ended up selling the business uh, when I graduated and, um, and started working uh, in real estate development after that. So, um, you know very I would say a very entrepreneurial path um, and it's been a lot of opportunities to learn and and grow from that, but you know nothing to the scale of what we've done now with Parker Clay. I think this is kind of the first big step into that, um, which you know I think there's a never ending amount of lessons to learn along the way for sure
1: right, okay, well, it's funny enough I started a car a car detailing business when I was uh in high school. So a little bit earlier, a little bit younger than you. And it was going great until I got brought my friends in to start washing cars. And then they just, they just weren't, didn't have the, the heart that I had with it. But one guy actually said here, you can just keep my BMW for the weekend. And I was driving it all around and actually the police ended up coming to my house, but, oh. uh, <laughs> but yes, so we, uh, we're, we, we share that. So that's, that's pretty fun. And yeah, I, I love the, the entrepreneurial, uh, Startings of you because it, it seems like it was just instilled for, from you with, from, from day one that, like, kind of this is what your path was going to have part of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly a lot of zigs and zags along the way. Um, there's no straight line in it. But, um, it, and I might have done the same thing with some nice cars like you did as well. I think I had to take a couple extra laps around the block with a Ferrari once just to make sure it was all dried off.
1: Yeah, so I got to dry off, the, get the water out of the mirrors.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Very, very important. <laughs> okay. So, so, uh, well, cool. You sell your business. Mine just went into the ground, uh, you sell it and then you start working in, uh, in commercial real estate, in real estate development. Um, and, and how long did you, did you do that for?
0: Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I've, I started life younger. I would say I met my wife in high school. Um, and then we got married when I was actually 19. So got married really young. Um, and started our life, uh, you know, careers, family. We had our first two uh, children, which is Parker and Clay. So that's where the name came from, uh, is my two sons. And, um, we had just bought and bought our first house. Uh, so purchased our first home and felt like, you know, kind of life was starting out great, right? Classic American dream of thinking, you know, married, I've got family, I've got great job. I'm kind of rising in the ranks. And then my wife and I started talking about adoption and we had talked about it, you know, over the years as we were even dating. And it really, it was something on both on our minds, hearts, but we didn't know when that might be a conversation. Uh, and it was when, uh, back, I guess in 2009, which of all times, uh, being in the real estate market, 9, 10, not the best. Um, And so, uh, but with that, we ended up pursuing adoption and that led us to Ethiopia in the midst of kind of all this. And, you know, I'll say that's where a really significant shift in our life started to kind of take course. And, um, you know, I think, The mindset I had around my career, around my life, around how it was looking was very ideal. But when I was exposed to another culture, another country, and now I have this daughter who is from this country, and it really also, Ethiopia took the shape that I had thought it represented, you know, there was a lot of poverty, a lot of famine, a lot of really hard things there, which can be true. And historically, that's been the main message from it. But we we saw this beautiful, vibrant culture, um, youth that were ready to work, and tons of opportunity. And so, you know, we kind of been, you know, had been working, doing our thing for uh, you know a handful of years. Went to Ethiopia, came back from Ethiopia. This was 2010, and just kind of started to go, what do we do? Like, what's next? We just had this really incredible experience in Ethiopia. And now we're kind of exploring, gosh, do we, do we shift? Do we, do we just donate to organizations in Ethiopia? Like, how do we help? How do we get involved? And that was really kind of the beginning of the next chapter for us in ultimately moving to Ethiopia.
1: Wow. I mean, I'm incredibly excited to hear about that, that next chapter, but I first want to hear about this, this idea. So you're living in San Diego, right?
0: Yeah, we, uh, we, so we finished college in San Diego, and then we actually moved back up to Santa Barbara.
1: Okay, so you're living in Santa Barbara, you have a family, you have a house, you have a job, you have two kids already, and then you're thinking, okay, let's take this, this next adventure here. What was, what was that thought process like of, of, of you know, shaking things up so dramatically?
0: <laughs> it, was, uh, it was crazy uh, to, to, you know, to literally leave. Uh, I'd started out as a like, sales and marketing coordinator and rose up to, um, like BP level in this organization and really had, I felt like I was kind of one of those stepping into a prime part of my career. And, um, you know, with, with what we experienced while we were adopting our daughter from Ethiopia and coming back from that, um, it really just expanded our eyes, our horizon on what we can do with our lives. And when we saw an opportunity, you know, a lot of the A lot of the women that we saw, a big issue was women getting pulled into prostitution and also a lot of trafficking. And what we discovered was that a lot of these women in prostitution were actually orphans. And so it became really hard for my wife and I to think it it was no longer about a faceless and nameless statistic, you know, to say 150,000 women are in prostitution in the capital city of Ethiopia. Well, when you know a name and you know the face, it really changes the way that you, you look at that. And here we have a child who's from this country um, who we love. She's our daughter. And so the process of, it was really probably less than a year. We, I've made multiple trips back to Ethiopia. I talked to nonprofits, for-profits, everybody. And I just wanted to know what's the greatest need. Because it could have been at the time we were considering just, you know, can we donate? And, you know, long story short, we ended up, um, deciding the best opportunity was for us to move, live there and help these women, um, as they're coming off the streets, go through a, uh, job training program and create jobs. And so it, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I think we kind of had the idea. We said, well, let's just start going down that path. Um, I think we had a few garage sales. We sold one of our cars, we sold the other car. We rented our house out. You know, we put everything in uh, one of our parents' uh, extra bedrooms of storage, um, and we just kind of went, "Okay, we're doing this." And I remember that it was really the moment we bought tickets. And you know, I think pretty typically, when people are flying, they buy round trip tickets. This was a one way ticket to Africa with no return. And, you know, just our stuff in tow. And I remember standing at LAX just going, this is either the best decision or the worst decision I've ever made. Um, and, you know, obviously it was the beginning of one of the best decisions I had ever made, but it was a pretty intense process for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to this and it's like, I don't even know how to, how to imagine putting myself in that, in your shoes and, and going, going through that. You're like, good, bad, but definitely amazing decision. I mean, wow. Okay. So, so now I'm really excited to hear the next piece of this story. So you get to Ethiopia, I'm imagining like walking off the plane, like it's just a completely different world. And like, are you thinking about starting a business, just this volunteering, like what, what happens next?
0: Yeah. So we had connected with this group called Alilta Women at Risk. And so it's Ethiopian run organization that for over 20 years has been helping women out of prostitution giving them counseling, rehabilitation, job training, and then putting them back into you know, the workforce. And these women that go through this program that graduate to the tune of like 90 plus percent don't go back to prostitution. So something's working. But as they were you know, looking at the broader issue around this, there was still so many women that didn't have jobs and prostitution numbers kept growing and growing. So we felt like we could come and contribute in a way where we know business, we know how to be creative with things. So let's help build business. Let's help create, job, create jobs. But the key part was this rehabilitation program that they were going through. So that's kind of part of the secret sauce of even what, what we do today. And when we were doing this, I mean, so many things around just basic business stuff, um, you know, creating spreadsheets and, and looking at how to kind of bit, do business with international clients, um, because that was a big part of this beautiful craft that was happening in Ethiopia. But it was mostly like a lot of textiles and things like that. So we're living there, we're working with this nonprofit, helping them create these jobs. And it was about two years into living there that uh, we were out shopping for a birthday gift for my wife. And there's no like big, you know, super malls or there's not a lot of international shopping there, but we found this leather bag that just caught both of our eyes. And we looked inside and inside of it had a tag that said made in Ethiopia on it. And we're both like, wow, where did this come from? And then we flip it around and there's a phone number on the backside of the tag. And so I'm like, there's no way. So I call the number this guy picks up and hey do you make leather bags here? And he was like yes, what do you need? So, you know, that conversation kind of kicked off into this discovery mode of let's go to a tannery. You know, you see goats and cows all over Ethiopia, but you don't realize Ethiopia is home to the sixth largest population of livestock in the world. And these hides really like I, I say this In other contexts, but you know, really, like before Rome was built, Ethiopia was tanning leather goods, right? Ethiopia is kind of the the cradle of life civilization, and so I'm at a tannery, and they're filling this container filled, you know, just rolled up pieces of leather that they're going to export, and I'm going, where are you sending this to? And the the owner said he was shipping it to Italy, and it was like, you know, instantly when you hear Italy. You think of the connotation of what is made in Italy. What brands do you know are made in Italy? And so that light bulb moment of we're here to help create opportunities. There's a workforce that's ready to go to work. They're excited. And now there's this beautiful product that essentially is just being shipped out of the country. Can we make something here in Ethiopia? And so that was kind of the aha moment for us to go, yeah, let's, let's see what we can do. Um, and so, from there, we created the first our first few editions of our bags, and you know, figured out what we would call the business. Like that was kind of the beginning of it all.
1: Wow! And you know, like what I was talking about before about this journey and just seeming so uncertain, and for me, like really, really scary. Um, and for you, you get there, and you're just you're hardworking, and you're smart, and you're driven. And it's like this idea that you put someone like you into this entirely new world basically and you're able to you know get there immerse yourself become part of the culture and then wow look at this you see an incredible opportunity and then from there it's like okay wow what how can i create something really incredibly valuable from that and it's just it's such a inspiring idea of, of what you've what you've done
0: thank you yeah i appreciate that
1: yeah okay so now we've we've got the like how this idea came to be and and now I want to hear about the, the evolution of it. Like what, what happened next as you started to form this business?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, eventually this story will become a book at some point because there's just been so many twists and turns to it. But, um, you know, we, so we made a few bags, uh, brought them back to California just to kind of go, you know, maybe we've lived here so long that we are totally out of touch with what's going on in the West. So let's make them, let's bring them back see what people think. And we brought them back and people were all just going, where did you get those? Like, what brand is that? Um, And so, you know, Brittany and I kind of went, oh, cool. We're on to something here. And, um, you know, so that was kind of our first little, first customer test of it. And then um, we had really just have had incredible people around us from the beginning. When we lived there, we connected with a guy who had done a bunch of brand work uh, with companies like Nike and Target, and uh, he was there adopting a daughter. You know, by chance, he's going, "What are you guys doing? I love this. How can I help?" So, you know, got him and a few other people to kind of help for create our first uh, logo and website. We started shipping stuff back and you know fulfilling orders through his garage. You know, so we kind of started this little, you know, bootstrapped startup. Uh, from Ethiopia with friends here on the the domestic side and you know just started to pour more and more into it started to grow slowly and then in 2015 we uh, kind of another you know curveball to the story was we we had adopted actually another girl while living there a 9 year old and then we got pregnant with our fifth so we have five five children and um, in 2015 we discovered our youngest daughter at the time had a brain tumor. And so that ended up bringing us back to the U.S., um, which was not part of the plan. But we had, you know, kind of established a good team in Ethiopia to help keep things going. But that was, you know, throwing us back into the U.S. Parker Clay wasn't big enough to fully provide for our family yet. And obviously we had a huge medical need. So I went back into real estate while I was still kind of Bootstrapping, building Parker Clay on the side. And um and we navigated through that for a few years from about 2015 to 2018. We kept building. And, and meanwhile, Parker Clay, even in that situation, was doubling, more than doubling year over year in its growth. So in 2018, we made, as we're living here back in in the US, we made the final switch to go full-time into Parker Clay. And that was kind of the beginning of really significant growth for us the last few years.
1: Right. I mean, I can't even imagine with you focusing your energy on something 100%, it's like you're, it sounds like you're uh, like part superhero here, Ian. It's just, this is a- <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Far from it, far from it. But yeah, I mean, it's passion. I think it, we're, we're so passionate about what we do. Um, you know, we fight for it like it's our family. And it means so much to us. And so I think that's why we are so driven and push ourselves. Um, You know, it's, it's, and it's been cool because it's like the intersection of profit and purpose, right. Where we have found the ability to do something we're deeply passionate about where it intersects with a great need in the world, but it can also be a profitable business. Like it's, it's really been such a, a dream to have that, but, yeah I mean, as you know, and probably a lot of people listening, it's it is not without a lot of very hard, hard moments along the way to get there.
1: yes, I mean, zero to one is the hardest thing that exists in business and starting something from 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 scratch and then adding in the complexities of doing business in africa and then moving your family back and forth and adopting kids and and then a, a social mission adding that into the into it it's like if you can combine all of all of these uh, all of these facets it's like wow what a compelling business that you can create though
0: yeah i mean it's what i want to be doing and i think it's also what i just feel like i've been wired and made to do um which is i think what keeps me a little bit more sane yeah um, but, uh, you know, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a lot to balance. And I think it's also something where, you know, especially for my wife and I, as we're both working in the business, that you're constantly at prioritization, you know, to be able to uh, be husband, to be father, to be CEO. And how do you do all those things really well? Um, you know, it's not always going to be, I feel like success in all those at all times is, is something that takes a lot of work to get to. And I for sure have not perfected that. So any tips are welcomed. <laughs>
1: all right. Well, maybe after the podcast is over, we can, we can <laughs> talk, <laughs> but, uh, okay. So, so Ian, tell us about the business today.
0: Yeah. So it's exciting. We, um, you know, and, and, and even in 2020, we are still seeing kind of 2x growth on the business. So year over year, we've been, we've been 2x, you know, growth really from the beginning. Um, and, you know, now we have our, so we've started our own factory in Ethiopia, which makes us unique. We call it kind of beyond direct-to-consumer because a lot of businesses that are even direct-to-consumer, you're still working with a third-party factory. So we've got our own factory in Ethiopia. Uh, We've got over 150 employees of which 80% are women and a majority of those women have come out of prostitution and they're just amazing. They're crushing it and they're making the world's best bags through it. So I think that, um, you know, that's, we're super excited about our manufacturing option uh, opportunities in Ethiopia for, you know, a lot of people, again, Ethiopia is one of the fastest growing economies in the world. I think a lot of people don't recognize that. You've got the likes of uh, Jack Ma who, from Alibaba, who is setting up an e-commerce, basically distribution hub for Africa there. And, you know, he's on record saying that this is the China of 20 years ago. So, you know, tons of potential, tons of opportunity. And, you know... We really believe that in 10, 20 years from now, people will look back and see Africa and specifically Ethiopia as a huge uh, manufacturing hub and making some of the world's best products as well. So that's on the Ethiopian side. And then on the US side, we've got about 20 employees um, here. We've got an office and we have our our retail shop as well in Santa Barbara. And then we actually, (laughs) we go to the extent of actually fulfilling all of our orders as well. So we're literally sourcing from the source, we're making our products at our own factory in Ethiopia, shipping them back to us here in California, fulfilling the orders direct at our warehouse to the customer. So there really is, you know, from end to end on that supply chain, we have a deep level of, you know, integrity and transparency and, and understand, you know, what goes into it and what's happening with it, um, you know, and, and and we just see the growth too that we've experienced in the business as a um, change of you know the fashion industry in a whole as well. Like you know, fashion is is broken for the most part. I think that um, there's so much that you know when you start thinking about terms like fast fashion, where you know things are just coming out every week. It's just cranking and cranking and cranking. And I think that you know for a lot of consumers, this movement of conscious consumerism has been rising really over the last 10 years. And I think that that's where most consumers want, they don't wanna compromise on looking good, right? That's always something that's important. They want quality, but they also wanna know that they're not taking advantage of someone, that someone who's actually made this is being treated fairly, is being paid a fair wage, that we can both celebrate the people and the products at the same time and not need to compromise. So those are kind of some of the tenets to what we've done as a business in creating this. And it's, you know, again, it goes back to my point of both profitable, but also with purpose. And so it's that intersection and it's actually good business. Um, It's good because we feel good about it, but also because consumers love it. So we're excited to kind of see that continue to grow.
1: Right. Well, how interesting. And Ian, you're, so your consumers, uh, I want to hear about who they are and, and are all of them this conscious consumer or some of them just looking for you know, a really cool leather bag and, and then, the, then the story is just a, a plus? How do, you, how, how do you think about that?
0: Yeah, good question. And it's fun. I'm, I'm a, you know, I love understanding who our consumer is. We, we really are intentional about how we talk to our consumer. We really, I guess, rather than consumer, we talk about it as our community to be intentional about that because we want people to be part of that. For some people, they want a good bag, right? I mean, and that's kind of how we intended from the beginning is that let's create products that if you saw in a Nordstrom's or a high-end retailer, that you would look at our bag and look at one of the other well-known brands and go be gravitated towards us just as much as you would be the other one because of its beauty, its quality. And so we do see consumers that are, are looking for that. I remember I just got an email recently from a woman who she literally sent a picture. She said, I'm normally a Louis Vuitton girl. And she had a picture of her kitchen counter, which was a big kitchen counter. And it was filled probably like 50 Louis Vuitton bags. And she was sending it to us saying that this Parker clay bag is worth more than those. Like she had connected. She had normally said, Hey, I, I just love, this, you know, this brand. I love Louis Vuitton. I love what it represents and how it makes me feel. But she discovered Parker Clay. And it was like she was communicating that this bag is the new, you know, direction she's headed. And it was like, whoa, because that's another level of kind of that premium market. And someone who's gravitating towards that. And then you have some people that, you know, do like the mission and want, you know, something more practical, day to day timeless which is great right and I think what I'm excited to see evolution with where like for instance like a Tom shoes started with this model that you know has has gotten a lot of bad PR as it's kind of been exposed along the way Um, but it started a movement which I give it credit for and I think a lot of that you know is what also has happened is that there's been a lot of like trinkets that have been made, whether like paper beads were a big thing for a long time. And I think people bought those things feeling like, hey, it's not a donation, but effectively I'm being philanthropic with my purchase. And that's not sustainable. Like that's not going to be what the consumer ultimately is going to come back to purchase again and tell their friends about. And so we were very intentional, especially knowing we came, we're coming from a place like Ethiopia, where most people might think poverty, famine. And we're really trying to flip that on its head to say, when you hear made in Italy, you feel something. When you hear made in Ethiopia, we want you to believe and feel that same exact level that this is a premium quality, that this is the best in the world. Um, We've just been sold, right, to believe that in a certain way for Mm -hmm. Italy. There's no reason why Ethiopia can't be the same thing. So, no, it's,
1: Yeah, it's, it's actually real because it's authentic and they're, you're helping people. And so, I mean, it's, the ceiling is much, much higher than it is for a Louis Vuitton bag, I feel like.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I remember reading an article too just a few years ago by The New Yorker that had kind of gone into this made in Italy conversation and it literally did investigative work in, in Italy. And it found that a lot of these high-end fashion houses these bags were being made by Chinese immigrants that were coming from China and these big setup, it was physically in Italy. But the idea of, I think this like old Italian man with his glasses, like midway on his nose, kind of hitting a hammer, you know, it's just like, that's not what's actually happening. Um, so I think consumers, again, it's, it's, it's the, the, the Gen X and Gen Z and millennials and you know, those consumers are, there's a lot of buying power, right? And more and more every year. And it's like, it's not an option to say, well, but it's cheap, right? It's low cost, or you've got to have the integrity behind it with your brand. And you have to be able to show, you know, what you do and how you treat people and all those things. And I think it's great. Um, But, you know, again, at the end of the day, they also don't want to compromise on their style and quality. And so I think that's a really important intersection. You have to make sure you do both.
1: Yep. The cookie has to be amazing. The bread's got to be great. The bag has to be awesome. Um, but then from there, the, everything in the world is moving towards authentic, transparent. And so when you have combined great product with authentic, transparent, that's totally the future. I'm, I'm totally bought in. So Ian, uh, let's tell everyone where they can find more about this, the website parkerclay.com. But, but tell us everything about how we can, how we can consume more of this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the holidays are coming up. I'm sure for a lot of people who have been, uh, you know, looking forward to some fun retail sides of things, we mostly fulfill orders um, online. We ship out usually the same day, and you can head to parkerclay.com and uh, purchase there. And if you happen to be in Santa Barbara, come by our shop. Um, we have a little retail shop here as well. Um, follow us on all the social media pieces and all that fun stuff. Um, we're, we, we like to be really engaging with. audience and uh, and you get to see a little bit more behind the scenes as well what we do
1: so cool well ian this was just amazing speaking with you i mean what an incredible story and uh, an incredible brand and i can't wait to uh for everyone to, to listen to this
0: yeah thanks again for having me alex
1: thanks for listening today if you like moving up the best way you can support us is by telling your friends and leaving us a review thanks